Today, we recognize that our power is insufficient to carry out God's great purposes for our own lives. Forming mission that comes from the residence of the Holy Spirit in our hearts makes possible a life and a mission that we could not make possible on our own. <clears throat> we saw that the waiting in this period was instrumental for God's sending. The waiting is instrumental for God's sending. So as we look at the book of Acts today, we will see that the Spirit's arrival in enabling power, not domineering power, not uh, the power of conquest per se, is what makes the promise of flourishing of early Jesus communities and its wildfire-like effect within the world. So it's the Spirit that makes this message spread, that makes it take off, that makes it go to the ends of the world, like we talked about last week. So we'll look at the text together, and that will be important for us, no doubt, but what I hope that you really take from the sermon is not just an extra biblical nugget or a cool idea. I hope that you will leave this space today with a few things. One, a prevailing peace that God wants to draw you into his life, the life of the Spirit, a hope for what is possible with the Spirit-filled life, an assurance for those who need to know that God is still working in your life. And then finally, the thing that we might find is a willingness to step into surprise, is what I might call it, awe, wonder, the things that we encounter in Acts. So a willingness to step into the surprise that we would ask the Holy Spirit to guide us in ways that we would not expect. And that we would be willing to step into this, let's call it a dance with God. Okay, so some uh, big picture things that we need to kind of, kind of maybe address, some of the housekeeping things when we're looking at Acts. Uh, is there some things in the first few chapters that usually jump out to us? Uh, they can sometimes occupy the bulk of our conversation, so we're going to address them, and then we're just going to kind of slide on. Uh, so, first of all, speaking in tongues, because this happens in Acts 2, it happens when uh, the Holy Spirit descends on the Gentiles as the uh, second Pentecost moment, for lack of better words. Uh, and it's supposed to be a sign that the Holy Spirit has come upon them. Uh, and we can sometimes get caught up and tripped up by, like, what is this role? Uh, we can talk about uh, his, the historicity, is it meant for us today, all this other stuff. But that's not going to be the focus of where we are today. And I found, in just like my personal journey, uh, N.T. Wright has been a very big help. So N.T. Wright talks about the significance of praying in the Spirit, which captures a whole plethora of ideas, right? Uh, the significance of praying in the Spirit as a natural practice for every believer, but also the indescribable effect that happens for some in their prayer life. Okay, So for some of us, we just kind of naturally sense where the Spirit is moving. We have a still, small voice. Uh, and for some of us, uh, maybe here, maybe abroad, that has more of the, uh, some call it more of like the supernatural manifestation. Now, you can, you can land wherever you want on a lot of these things. Uh, is it prescriptive that you have to speak in tongues? No. Does it happen? Yes. Is it useful? 
for N.T. Wright, he says, yes, he's been in pastoral uh, situations where sometimes you don't have the words, but for somebody in that context, it just takes off with, with them. They just have a life transformed, and you just can't argue with that. Or you can if you want to, but, you know, it's off, off, off my shoulders. Uh, so is it bad to speak in tongues? No. You've seen it happen, and it's seen its legitimacy and its impact. Should this be prescriptive for the life of every believer to speak in tongues? No. Uh, but it should be the practice. Hear this. It should be the practice of every Christian to pray and be attentive to the Holy Spirit's still, small voice, and for this life of prayer to affect one's entire being. Their whole self, their self being more and more transformed into Christ's likeness. If you remember where we were last summer, right? It was last summer when we were praying, when we were uh, journeying through the Psalms together. Yeah. When we were trying to uh, incorporate this practice of praying the Psalms together to let the message of the Psalms sit on our own hearts and our own lives, and for that to transform us. This is what it is to be kind of entering in that conversation with the Holy Spirit, right? So what is it at the end of the day? Is it the actual things, the actual practices themselves? It's more out of that posture of having the conversational relationship to, with God. That's what we keep coming back to over and over and over again. Uh, second thing that we encounter, and this is at the very end of Acts 2, so we may as well address it as well. Uh, there's this kind of posture of giving everything one has to the community. And some people like to harp on it as like an idealism, or is it not idealism, is it practical, all this other stuff. Guys, this is, this is used to show the free giving posture of the saints. It's also a text that warns us against falsehoods in person who want to appear as if they are genuine and on board with this Jesus agenda, but have not experienced an uprooting of their selfish inclinations. Right? We see that with the two people who uh, claim to be giving all that they have, but they're actually keeping on uh, a good bit for themselves. And the Holy Spirit says, and into that, you can read more about that in Acts. Uh, and we see some other things as well, but I just kind of wanted to pave the way as we're getting into Acts 2 today. Just for some people, when they come to Acts 2, they're not sure what to make of it, or you hear this kind of, uh, um, don't have a good word for it right now, but we'll call it Bible study baggage, right? Uh, where people come to a text and they have their experiences and they're not sure what to do to reconcile these things. We're going to be honest and address them and know that they exist, but we're also going to go on today because we want to talk about one, what Joel introduced us last week, the power of the Holy Spirit coming on his people and what that means for us and means for our lives. We also want to talk about presence. We want to talk about God's transforming presence as he steps into our lives, puts up residence inside of us, and what that means as we're walking out our day-to-day -day lives. We also want to talk about uh, how this affects us, because sometimes that's how we know when we are having an encounter with the Holy Spirit in a moment, is when we have this sense of awe, this sense of wonder, uh, the sense that something is happening that we can't explain, but we're not mad about that at all. Okay, so we're going to step into a little bit of that today. So what I would like us to think about today is the transformation that we encounter by living life in the Spirit. Living life in the Spirit. You should say yes to the Holy Spirit's guidance because it is the source of sustaining and enabling power that will lead us through life and revitalize our sense of mission. And because the Spirit is a sure, transforming presence, 
that changes us into the types of persons that God has created us to be and will be a source of comfort in times of hardship. So we're talking about power. We're talking about presence. Uh, so I'm going to read through Acts 2 for us. We'll take a couple of pauses here and there uh, to admire the landscapes. He was there for us. Uh, as we're going through, we're going to try something. I like some good call and response because we're in the South, right? Can I get an amen? Amen. 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 All right. So uh, throughout, we're going to see a couple of key words. We're going to see the word power. Can you say power? Power. We're going to see the word presence. Can you say presence? Presence. Uh, we're going to see the word awe and wonder. Can you say awe? Awe. Wonder. Wonder. Okay. There's going to be a couple of times where I'm going to pause and say, church, say this with me. All right. And we're just going to go with that. That should keep us all awake, right? Yeah. Okay. Good, good, good. All right. <clears throat> Acts chapter 2, following chapter 1, preceding chapter 3, the book of Acts, before the book of Romans, after John, but also part 2 of the book of Luke. All right. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one had heard them speaking in a native language of each. Amazed and astonished, church say amazed and astonished. Amazed and astonished. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all these people who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to the Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, and the Jews, and the proselytes, and the Cretans, and the Arabs in our own languages. We heard them speaking about God's deeds of power. Church, say power. Power. All were amazed and perplexed. Say amazed and perplexed. Amazed and perplexed. Saying to one another, what does this mean? The others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. But then Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea. And all who lived in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. <laughs> no, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Quick note on this pouring out. What they're imagining is a torrential downpour. 
seen. That's the language link here, a torrential downpour. Imagine you coming into the church this morning, you saw a, a lot of rain coming down. Did you not? Yes. Now, what happens when we're all standing out in the rain? We get soaked. There is no escaping. There is no escaping. Uh, try imagining like trying to trek to class out, out in nature and you know you have to park about a mile away and then uh, it's just raining, 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 raining. And even though you have a jacket and an umbrella and you put a tarp over your backpack, you're still winding up to class drenched. Is this a true story? It is. And it's not fun to sit through a three-hour class when you are drenched in water. It soaks us all. And that's solidarity right there. Scholarship. <laughs> and I will show portents in heaven above and signs on earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And this ends the Joel quotation. You that are Israelites, listen to what I have to say. Jesus of Nazareth, this is where Peter like really starts preaching, preaching to the choir, but not to the choir because, you know, there are other people. <laughs> Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with deeds of power. Church, say power. power. Wonders. Church, say wonders. And signs that God did through him among you, as you yourselves know. This man handed over to you according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of those outside of the law. But God raised him up, having freed him from death because it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Church, say power. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, so I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. Moreover, my flesh will live in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One experience corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. The ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your Presence. Church, say presence. 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 Fellow Israelites, once again, I may say to you confidently of our ancestor David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would be put, or he would put one of his descendants on his throne. Foreseeing this, kind of bringing back that prophet imagery, right, of what the Holy Spirit does. David spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, saying, He was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh experience corruption. Peter continues, This Jesus God raised up, excuse me, and of all that and of that, all of us are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out, once again, the language of pouring out, torrential downpour. He has poured out this that you see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. 
Therefore, let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. In case you needed to hear the gospel message through one of the early church apostles, there it is this morning. It's a good message, isn't it? Couldn't do it better myself. Verse 37, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. That's how they're responding. They were cut to the heart. Something inside of them is being affected in a way that can't be described. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that you, your sins may be forgiven, and that you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We're talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit here. Be baptized. Receive the Holy Spirit. Repent. Be baptized. Receive the Holy Spirit. We have a little bit of an order of how we're meant to step into this transforming work of God. For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And notice that the Spirit is being poured out upon everybody. Not just everybody in this local context, but everyone. Everyone in God's creation. His Spirit is made manifest on them in an uh, initial way. In a way that is guiding all people. And of course, when Peter is talking about receiving the Holy Spirit, it's more of a special way. A special descent of the Holy Spirit. A way that is going to transform even more. And so verse 40, and he testified with many other arguments and ex exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So those who welcomed his message were baptized. And that day about 3,000 persons were added. Imagine 3,000 right now. 3,000 is the size of my Christian university up in Indiana. 3,000 that day, because the Spirit showed up. He stirred among them. His power was with them. People were amazed, and lives were transformed. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe. Everyone say awe. Awe, awe came upon everyone. Because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles, all who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much of their time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. And that is the word of the Lord for us this morning. That's Acts 2. And keep in, keep in mind, church, that's just Acts 2. The key point that we want to, once again, come back to, through... Through the Holy Spirit, we receive an enabling power that guides us into alignment with Christ as we say yes to God's 
Spirit working in our lives through that we are transformed by his presence. So when we look at the book of Acts, uh, I think Joel introduced it to us last week. Uh, here's just a little bit of a, a big picture nugget. If we're thinking about uh, Luke and Acts, Luke begins part one, Acts is part two. We see some continuous narrative threads that go between both. Uh, and one of them is the way that we think about the spirit. Uh, so to, to use like a, a fancy historical thing, uh, one of the early church fathers, Cyril of Alexandria, had noted that there's something interesting that happens when the Spirit comes upon Jesus at his baptism, that this is one of the moments where the Spirit is taking up residence, and he would say, kind of in more figural, figural terms, that, the, that Christ is preparing the Holy Spirit to dwell in the hearts of everyone, which is an amazing thing. And then that becomes actualized here in Acts, in this Pentecost moment. Uh, there's the waiting that happens at the very end of Luke, and then there's the waiting that is also continued at the beginning of Acts. Uh, there's the waiting to be clothed from on high, and the waiting to experience that power. So we're linking those two together. Furthermore, we, we can think about this big picture as Jesus' ministry in Luke and how Jesus continues his ministry in Acts uh, in the second part. Sometimes we want to <clears throat> label Acts as the Acts of the Apostles. Some people have called it the Acts of the Apostle Paul. But is it the Acts of Apostle Paul? Not really. Uh, my, Paul shows up quite a bit. But really, what we could call this because the main character isn't necessarily Paul, isn't Barnabas, isn't Peter. They all have important roles to play, but it's the acts of the Holy Spirit working in the community. The Holy Spirit is our main character. And when he shows up, there is, uh, there's change, there's transformation. There's, there's things that you cannot believe. There's also this thing that the Holy Spirit does in the hearts of his people, though even when shortcomings come upon them, they're still steadfast. They're still filled with joy. They're a completely different breed of character. And so Acts is about the works of the Spirit. And it really kicks off. You could call it the catalyst, the launch point. It really begins here in chapter 2. Uh, if we were in the Shire this morning, this would be an even better reference. But we're going to go with it anyways. Um, you can almost think about this moment in Acts like, first of all, hopefully I'm not speaking over, over too many. I think we're... we're uh, our little cultural community knows Lord of the Rings pretty well. Uh, this, this moment is kind of like when the fellowship is at Rivendell. And they have this moment where they're coming together. They are getting all of the necessary means that they need to so that they can go out on their journey. Right? They, they Somehow, with everybody here, with all of their different gifts, they're able to step out. Uh, and it's something better than what it could have been with just a small band of hobbits trying to do as much as they could and not really having great direction, 
right? Personal thing. Feel free to talk. It's fine. Uh, talk to Sam afterwards. It'll be great. Uh, so, but you can almost liken it to this moment or any type of thing in a, in a really great work of literature. There's this kind of uh, moment where uh, you have everything together, you have your party, and now you have uh, the, the tools, the, the power, the source that you need, and then you're able to uh, just kind of launch out, right? What's very unique about Acts, though, is that it is the spirit is the Spirit's presence. It, the Spirit is what we need, is what the apostles needed, it's what the early church needed in order to take this Jesus movement and lift it off of the ground. This, along with other things, made uh, this Jesus movement go from just a small community in Jerusalem to something that was spreading even to the Roman Empire. So you have so much. Uh, on the spreading, a good biblical nugget is that uh, fire is as it is used. How it's the how it is the uh, way that the Holy Spirit comes down. Some people would like to call it the uh, like tongues of fire, like visual images of fire. Uh, but as some people have kind of noted, and where like fire appears in other places, it seems that it's better that to say that fire is an image of how it spreads. It caught like a wildfire, not just the literal depictions of like little pieces of fire. Uh, so one biblical commentary says this, uh, the use of the image of fire in Acts 2.3 is exactly that. The use of a picture is not a description of the Spirit's baptism as a baptism of fire, necessarily. Uh, but Acts 2.3 does not say that the baptism associated with the Spirit's distribution of fire, but that it spread through the crowd like a fire. Thus, the Acts image of fire discusses only the Spirit's uh, spreading through the crowd and does not discuss the nature of baptism itself, uh, which is kind of helpful for us to think about because it's this little image of spreading like a wildfire in this one location that seems to be a picture of how it spreads in other locations, right? When the Spirit touches down, it makes a huge difference. Lives are changed. Also in Peter's sermon, something that we can note. Speaking of uh, how we talked about uh, tongues earlier, and then there are some ways that uh, truth is expressed in the way that we don't come to think of it. Uh, Peter's sermon is a little bit unexpected. This is not the same Peter who's talking. Uh, the Peter that I read out, his sermon, basically Acts 2. This is not the same guy that we encountered in Luke 22, was it? This Peter is bold and courageous, testifying to the risen Christ. The old Peter is self-preserving and cowardly when we encounter him outside of the building where Jesus is being questioned before his crucifixion. And in that moment, he's testifying that he had no connection with this Christ. What has to go into a heart of a person to have complete separation in a moment, but then full confidence and boldness and proclaiming that into the streets? Not just a couple of people gather around a little fire, is how I imagine it, I guess, but um, to the masses. 
And to continue to do that throughout the day, using different exhortations and helping them along and helping them see. <clears throat> Talk about a contrast. So this is an example of how the Holy Spirit works in the lives of his people. This boldness enables persons to testify to Christ, saying the words that ought to be said and still giving its speakers the freedom, the vernacular, the dialect, whatever you want to call it, uh, to craft it in a way that is needed for the time and for the place. So one of the recurring things that happens throughout Acts, uh, the people who are being brought in by the Holy Spirit, they're given boldness. They're, they're given the words to say. They're given a direct sense of mission. People are led out on these missionary journeys. Uh, Saul and Barnabas and several others feel the compelling of the Holy Spirit to go to a particular people, to be present in a particular place and to bear the fruits of the Spirit in those places. Right? This, this, is, this is the profile of the person in the book of Acts. So the things we've, we want to talk about, we talked about the downpour, that the Spirit is being made manifest upon all people. And it, it is within us, as part of our identity as persons, uh, that we are image bearers of God, and even more so when we say yes to the Holy Spirit, when we cooperate with God, we are even more in that image. John Wesley had a way of saying that there is kind of like this first image, um, forgetting the proper terms, but there's this kind of first image of God state where we are like God, uh, but then there's this second where we are even more perfect as we are cooperating with the Holy Spirit as we are becoming even more holy as he is holy. So what does it look like to use the Spirit's direction? Well, the, the Spirit offers us presence. He's a sure presence in a time of need. The Spirit offers direction through showing us the relevance of scriptures, how we apply those to our lives. Who's ever opened up the scriptures and turned in and said, I don't, I don't know how this is going to apply to me. Maybe you're reading the Minor Prophets and you're thinking to yourself, what in the world are they talking about? What application am I supposed to take here? As we cooperate with the Holy Spirit, as we are praying, he brings things to life that we cannot see ourselves. Spirit offers direction through leading persons to have a bold witness to the person and work of Christ. Have you ever felt the impression on your heart that you needed to say something when you didn't want to say something? Sucks, doesn't it? Have you ever been in a situation where someone needs you to say something and you have no idea what to say? And then something, in the far right corner of your imagination that you wouldn't think of, just starts like peeking in. And you give it a shot. And it turns out it's the thing that the person needed to hear. Oftentimes, that was my, my uh, experience with like pastoral counseling. You'd step into a situation, you had no idea what this person needed. Honestly, you'd be like shell-shocked. I don't know what to say to you. 
somehow you sit down, you pray together, you ask the Holy Spirit, like, say what you need to say in the space. And it's the thing that gave them the peace, the direction, the comfort, whatever they needed that, at that particular time. God, so much of our ministry is prayer, too. It's not just rote Bible answers that we have off the top of our head. It's our ability to be present with people, like the Holy Spirit is present with us. To pray out of our, our posture of prayer. Other thing, uh, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we know that he gives a direction. He also does something in us. These things are, uh, when, when a believer is brought into life with Christ, this life of the Holy Spirit as well, they receive a combination of both forgiveness. They're forgiven of their sins. They are cleansed. They are set white as snow. They receive the Holy Spirit. They have the source of power and presence that enables them to live a life aligned with the gospel. And with that life aligned with the gospel, they are given true life. Maybe not true life in like the final reality with God type of thing, but they are given life in a way that they don't live the same as they used to. Passions, the inclinations, they're all different. They're aligned to a different order. We have a different set of priorities. We see this in the book of Acts as well uh, when... Um, Example is blinking on me, uh, but essentially they are fixated on one of these priorities and the Holy Spirit comes in and says, no, we need to reorder, we need to fix the way that we're approaching this, and it leads to even more transformation in the community. Think about when the Holy Spirit comes down uh, and is messing with, Peter's, uh, messing with Peter's dreams and everything, and he goes from having this one posture about the Gentiles, and then he's willing and able to go and speak to the Gentiles, and then another Pentecost moment happens where the Holy Spirit descends on people. And that's where our great hope comes from, right? When it's not just the Jewish community receiving this power, but it's the Gentiles as well. That's where we're at. Big picture, the work of the Holy Spirit in both Luke and Acts, and how we think about it today, reveals the new era and equips the new community with enablement, with enablement for witness. As a result, her leaders are bold, and they're wise in their testimony. We have this knowledge of what we should and maybe should not say. We have a, a new humility about us that allows us to step into these spaces. Spirit also guides the community at key points. He sometimes reveals what the church is going, what the church is to do in mission and where one should go. So when we say that we're being led by the Spirit, or we feel a direction to go in one way or another, these are very real things, and it comes from the Holy Spirit. It comes from Pentecost. Uh, moving, moving more towards a conclusion, because I think we've covered a good bit of ground here. I find that Dallas Willard has a helpful way of imagining where we might go from here today. So in the epilogue of his book, Hearing God, he gives a vision of uh, the spiritual life and how persons approach this as a subject today. It's really good. Uh, speaking of the gentleness of God's approach, he writes this. God's little invasions into human life seem by their very gentleness to invite us to explain them away. 
So we know how God tends to make himself known for us, maybe. Maybe we're a little bit uh, further on the journey. Maybe some of us are newer on the journey. But some of us have felt these little things where where we almost wonder to ourselves, is God trying to say something here? This seems a little odd. This seems coincidental. Someone said this about this over here, and now it seems like this is happening in my life. Dallas Willard calls these things little invasions. It's a fun way to think about how God is entering and speaking to us on a day-to-day basis with that still small voice. He continues, we are hindered in our progress towards becoming spiritually competent people by how easily we can explain away the movements of God toward us. They go meekly without much protest. Perhaps for more than one of us, we have this uh, thing within us where we are kind of doubting. We want to say, maybe this isn't just God working in a miraculous way or specifically touching my life. Some of us might even have this struggle of thinking that our life is worth being touched. Once again, would like to reiterate that God has his Holy Spirit set up inside of you and that this is a free access point. You're worthy of having your life touched by God. Of course, God's day will come, but for now, he cooperates with the desires and inclinations that make up our character as we gradually become the kind of people we will forever be. And that should send a chill down our spine. Continues a little bit. And if, by contrast, we are ready and set to find ways of explaining away his gentle overtures, he will rarely respond with the fire from heaven, the fire that we spoke about this morning, the thing that ignites our hearts and ignites the hearts of us, uh, people around us, that sets our community ablaze as well, or can have the potential to set our community ablaze. More likely, he says, he will simply leave us alone and we shall have the satisfaction of thinking ourselves not to be horrible. So what, what is the problem that Willard is explaining? He's explaining this idea that sometimes we just uh, would like to keep the sense of awe and wonder and surprise of how God might be interacting in our lives at arm's distance. We would rather the world be something that we can explain within the confines, the box of our imagination. And sometimes God is wanting to break us out of that box, to give us another perspective to enhance the way that we're seeing the world or to see it through a new lens. But, and this is where the whole text on blasphemy of the Holy Spirit comes in, sometimes we say no. Sometimes we say no. What happens when you say no over and over and over again? It does. It becomes a choice. It becomes something that we're kind of choosing for ourselves. God is present, and he's still speaking. He's still nudging. But more, the more that we say no, the more that we negatively respond to that, the more it seems like either we have built up a fortress for ourselves, which is probably made of straw, for being honest. Um, but we continue to lose sight of that voice. So our spiritual life is saying yes to God. The more that we say yes to God, we grow with God. The more that we say no to his 
nudging, the more that we say no to his invitations, the more that we say no to the ways that he wants to work in our lives, the more that we're distancing ourselves from the lives that we could have, the lives that he's purposed for us, with the gifts that he's created for you and for me. This fire depends on us actually being attentive and staying willing, staying open, uh, willing to be surprised and to step into that. So what Willard means to be addressed to address our person's tendencies to explain away the times when God is breaking through and making himself known to us as mere coincidences or events that we could explain away by our own skepticism. In doing so, they closed off a possible entrance into a life of increasingly powerful, church say powerful, powerful, powerful prayer. They grow no further, for they have proven with their own satisfaction that their prayer is not answered. So we ought to ask ourselves, in true and honest reflection, are we these types of persons? Or do we have these tendencies? The tendency to hear that still small voice and say no. How do we account for the ways that God surprises us? Do we look for these surprises? When is the last time that we have asked God to step in and surprise us, to awaken our imagination, to step into something new with him? Because that's where the Spirit wants us to go, right? It should be more than just normal. It should be more than just settling, right? So having observed the gentleness of the Spirit's movement, he comments on uh, the nature of a life beyond. So Dallas Willard is commenting on the gentleness that the Holy Spirit touches our lives, and then what is also possible when we say yes. Willard proclaims that God is truly present with us, and that God speaks to us, and that we speak with him. In all of this, he also insists, and probably for good reason, that God's presence with us is greater than his words to us. That's one to think about. God's presence with us is greater than his words to us. It is through these communications, though, that we step into companionship. The Christian life is more than a set of practices a list of do's and don'ts, or whatever it might seem from, from the outside looking in. Christianity is about companionship with Jesus. And these persons draw their life from a conversational relationship with God. We look for prayer. We look for the ways that God wants to move and transform others. Our prayers aren't empty. They have our heart with them. Dallas Willard includes a poem as well. He says, Now... Now is the shining fabric of our day, torn open, flung apart, rent wide by love. You think about the breaking of the temple curtain. Never again the tight enclosing sky, the bowl blue or the star illumined tent. We are laid open to infinity. For Easter love has burst his tomb and ours. Now nothing shelters us from God's desire. Not flesh, not sky, not stars, not even sin. 
Now glory waits so he can enter in. Now does the dance begin. This life of the Holy Spirit is something that we can enjoy. It's something to be powerful. It's something to uh, have this transforming presence with God. And it's something that as we are continually surprised as we enter into this dance where God is leading us and we're following and we're stepping on his toes, but it's fine. I don't know. Use the imagery that you'd like. This is a dynamic life. It's a powerful life. It's a life that helps us as we are thinking about going out on mission in our community. We talk about loving Chapel Hill with the heart of Jesus. And it's through our relationship with the Holy Spirit that this happens. Sam uh, sung a song for us at the beginning. Uh, Holy Spirit. Final, the, the verse gives this. There's nothing worth more that will ever come close. No thing can compare your our living hope. Your presence. I've tasted and seen with the sweetest of loves, where my heart becomes free. Shame is undone. In your presence. Let us become more aware of your presence. Let us experience the glory of your goodness. Let us become more aware of your presence. Let us experience the glory of your goodness. As we go out today, let's look for God's presence in our day-to-day life. And Brother Lawrence, looking, looking for him in the little, small, mundane uh, tasks of the everyday, let's look for the way that he appears to us. Let's look for the ways that God is showing us his goodness, that he's actually trying to surprise us, that he wants to touch our hearts in a very special way. And let's go with boldness. For the times when uh, we have these nudgings from the Holy Spirit to say what we feel like we need to say in that moment, to be led, to be prompted. And in doing so, we live this dynamic life with the Spirit. So Peter's, Peter's message calls back to us the events of Christ's life, death, and resurrection. So today when we come up and take communion together, uh, that we celebrate the Eucharist together, this liturgy of the table, we remember that Christ's body Christ's body was broken for you. Christ's body was broken for you so that we might be able to step into this new life. And in the same way that at this table they, they talk about, Christ talks about the breaking of his body, he also talks about the shedding of his blood, the, sh- the blood that is shed for the forgiveness of sins, my sins, your sins, our sins, and what this eventually brings about, this new life in the Spirit. We have uh, our guys come up and do this, and I'm going to say a word to close this in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your spirit, your empowering spirit, your present spirit, your spirit that continues to lead us into new spaces, to transform our lives, 
this uh, the Holy Spirit that is continuing to uh, change and shape our lives. God, we know the people that we have been and the persons that maybe we are now and the people that you're continuing to shape us to be. God, we see the people who have gone before us who modeled this life with the Spirit well, and we want to step into that Spirit. God, we pray that you would be uh, present with us as we go throughout this week, that you would show us yourself, that you would give us bits of hope, peace, assurance, that you would uh, give us a new sense of love for our neighbors, for those around us. God, we thank you for all of the work that you have done for us in uh, coming down to earth, making yourself a human being for our behalf so that we might experience the life that you have in your Trinitarian community and that we would live in this dynamic relationship with the Holy Spirit, this thing that comes in this new era and is giving us new life. We ask these things, that today on Pentecost Sunday, that you would come and freshen our hearts so that they would be more like yours. Let me pray. Amen. So friends, as you come to the table today, we invite you to take a piece of the bread and dip it in the cup. Um, we'll come down this side and make our way across the front back to your, your seat on that side. There is a gluten-free option available if you need that. Friends, we invite you to come to the table, taste and see that the Lord is good.